We're going through 1 Corinthians 13 and talking about the wonders of his love. And our core belief is that the greatest thing you need in your life right now is more of the love of God found in Christ. So that's the thing we need more than anything else. And what we saw last week is that Paul begins by saying this kind of love is the most important thing in your life. It's not just an additive or an add-on or something that uh, could possibly be helpful but not indispensable. He's saying this kind of love is absolutely essential. It is utterly indispensable. This is the more excellent way to live and to be in the world. And kind of deep down, I think we know this. I read this past week, it was interesting where it was estimated that just under 80% of all contemporary music across all genres has love as its theme. Now, I don't know how you could actually study or quantify that, but it's interesting to think. I right, think about all the songs you know, how much have love as its theme. And it's kind of like we just kind of internalize, we know how important this is. And that actually is a good illustration of the radical way that the gospel has transformed a society. Because if you go back into first century Roman uh, world, uh, I don't know all of their popular music, but I can promise you sacrificial love was not a theme. It'd be things like strength and honor and glory. Those would be the themes of the songs they sang. But what Paul's going to tell us is he's going to paint a picture for us of what real love is. And last week, verses one through three is such a challenge because it tells us no matter how gifted you are, no matter how selfless you are, no matter how sacrificial, no matter how successful you are, you are nothing if you don't have this kind of love in your life. And we have to remember he's actually addressing churches in the context of their worship. So it's a challenge for us because he says it's very possible to have a loveless worship. It's possible to have loveless preaching, loveless theology, loveless faith, loveless social action, loveless even martyrdom. But nothing can compensate for that lack of love. John Chrysostom, the great fourth century preacher, says, if I don't have love, not only do I become useless, I am a positive nuisance. And so love is central. And what we have in verses 3 through 7, we get one of the most beautiful pictures in all of literature about what love is. So let's look and pick up, uh, picking up, well, we'll read 1 through 3 to kind of get the, 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 the background, and then 4 through 7. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. As we go through the series, you know, I have all types of, you know, pop songs, lyrics kind of running through my head, and so I'll try not to uh, quote too many of them, but it is almost like Paul hears the song that uh, someone sings that they, uh, you know, I want to know what love is. I need someone to show me. And what he does is he takes, and in this section four through seven, he gives this profound picture of love. But what you'll notice when you go through, it's actually a picture where he highlights 15 different verbs. 
These are all 15 different action verbs as he's painting a picture. This is what love is. Now, if you grew up um, down with the DC talk, if you were down with the DC talk, and uh, you knew that if you could pull out your big black book, because when you need a word to find, that's where you look. And so you move to the L's quick, fast, in a hurry. And uh, what do you find out? You find out that love is a verb. So if you grew up with that, you'll know that's not very surprising. But here, love is presented. It's this verb. It's this action. And it tells us, really, this is what love is. And let's, when you look at it in English, an interesting progression comes up. There's this dynamic back and forth between love is and then love does. So let's pull up first. All right, love is. Love is patient and it is kind. This is what it is. And then love does. Notice what it does. Go to the next one. Love does not envy and boast. Because it is this, it does not do this. And you have this back and forth, this cycle through. Love is not arrogant or rude. This is what it is not. Therefore, it does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Therefore, it does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices at the truth. There's this dynamic back and forth. This is what it is. This is what it does. Identity activity. It's a beautiful picture. And so I've really wrestled with, all right, how do we encompass and embody and present this, this, this section? Now, when you pull it up in the Greek, a little interesting kind of nuance comes out. Now, this is this section in the Greek. And don't worry, you don't have to know any Greek to be able to see what, what is actually happening because it's, it's poetic. And what I want you to see, the, the top is, that's a chiastic. Oh, sorry, go back. So the top is love. There's agape, love. Love is patient. Kindness is love. So it's moving A, B, B, A. There's poetic pa pattern. And then notice over here all the oohs. That's ooh, 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 ooh. That's just no, not. There's a series of eight oohs, ooh, ooh, no, no. All right, pull up the English. And we're actually moving out of the toddler kind of stage in our family. And one of the things that I'm going to miss so much about this stage is toddler talk. I think my favorite kind of speech in all of life is toddler speech. And I think like maybe we need, I'll work on a toddler translation of the New Testament because you can say, right, so like you could go literally love is long suffering, acting kind is love. And then it's just a whole series of no. No envying, no boasting, no arrogance, no acting rude, no insisting on its own, no irritability, no recording wrongs, no rejoicing. Just no, 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 no. And so the way we're going to kind of unpack it over the next couple of weeks is we're going to start with the top and just kind of that banner that's over love. It's patient and it's kind. And then we'll move into all of these different no's. The things it doesn't do. No envying, boasting. So let's start with the first one, the first two, kind of the banner, the positive banner of love is patient, love is kind. And what we want to ask, all right, well, what is patience and what is kindness? Let's get clear on the definition. What's the problem with these two things? What's our problem with patience and kindness? And then what are some pictures that illustrate or are painted for us of what patience and kindness really are? So let's pick up this first one. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then even it's worth asking, like, why does Paul start here? Of all of the attributes, of all of the virtues, of all of the things that he could use to illustrate what love is, why does he begin with patience? 
Why does he begin with patience and kindness? All right, so what is patience? You know, patience is made up of these kind of two words. It's, it's long-suffering. You know, the, the, the King James translation, that love is long-suffering. It suffers long. The word for, for long, and actually, med students, is the thymus, where we get the word for thyroid, because the idea used to be that the, the thyroid was kind of the thing that would regulate your body temperature and your blood temperature. So when you start to get really angry and your blood temperature would rise, it would be the thyroid that would kind of level it off. So the image is someone who's able to, even in situations where they're, they're getting heated, they're about, their blood is about to boil over, they're able to have some stability, they're long-suffering. So definition, what is patience? Patience is the ability to endure difficulty without giving up or without giving in. So it's the ability to endure. You don't give up, you don't withdraw, you don't tap out, you don't check out, you don't give up. But then you don't give in. You're able to not give in to bitterness, not give in to frustration, not give in to anger or rage or malice or attacking. In one sense, patience is a relational trait. It's relational endurance. It's emotional endurance. You know, kind of change the metaphor if you want to think, all right, uh, patience is like the endurance athlete. You know, what's required to be an endurance athlete where you just keep going? That's patience. You heard earlier from our resident uh, executive pastor and local Ironman. So Pastor Julio is the only one on the staff who's ever completed an Ironman. And we'll probably have that designation as long as we exist. And you think, all right, what's required? You know, triathletes have a phrase, it's perpetual forward motion. Just keep going. Just keep moving. So all right, what's required? This is relational, perpetual forward motion. You're able to endure. You just keep going. But now think about kindness, because kindness is a little different. If in one sense, patience is more of a, I mean, it's not passive, but it's a more of you just keep going. Kindness is more active in the sense that it is utilizing strength. It's utilizing skill on behalf of another. So if patience is kind of like the emotional Iron Man, endurance athlete, kindness is kind of like the emotional or relational power lifter where you're, you're utilizing your strength, but you're utilizing your strength on behalf of another. I was thinking about this, this week at the, our local gym and uh, was working out and had some, a, a little bit of weight on the bar and was doing some deadlifts. And another guy who didn't look much smaller than me came up and put a large amount of weight on his bar. I started looking, it's like, wow. That is a lot of weight. And I started thinking about, what are, what are the muscles for? And those are a lot of muscles. What are they actually for? Like, will you ever actually need to pick up that much weight? Well, what kindness is, this is the emotional muscle. This is what it's for. You actually exercise your strength, but it's on behalf of others. It's for others. And this is something we pray for and want to teach our boys as we think about it. We want them to be fast, but we want them to be fast to run to the needs of others. We want them to be strong, but what kind of strength? It's not strength to impress or oppress. It's strength on behalf of another. It's a strength to protect and a strength to provide and a strength to serve. So what patience is, is emotional endurance, the ability to endure. And then kindness is active goodness, 
on behalf of others. All right, now what's the problem with these two? So what's the problem we have with patience and kindness? Why are these hard to develop? And I think what patience is one of those things that, like, you don't realize you don't have it until you're in a situation where you lose it. And then it becomes obvious to you and everyone else you never actually had it. Does that make any sense? Like, you don't realize you're not patient until you prove to all those around you that you aren't. And like, I used to think I was a patient person. And some of it just kind of personality, kind of easygoing, kind of roll with things. And I used to think, all right, of these things, you know, I'm pretty patient. And then I remember the moment where it became revealed to me that I was not. I was at the Chick-fil-A on I-75 in Tifton, Georgia. And I was in the middle of taking my three-year-old and two-year-old all by myself on a road trip. This road trip should have been six hours. We were halfway through and we were already at the five-hour mark. We had been at Chick-fil-A for an hour and a half. And then as we were getting in the car, they said two things that proved to everyone around that I'm just not a patient person. And then one of the beautiful things about life and children is um, every day since then, uh, children have given me more opportunities to remind myself of that reality. And so, you know, you, you don't know you're not patient until you lose your patience. And, you know, Christmas gives all types of opportunities to test you, to test your patience. You know, long lines at the store, long lines in traffic getting in and out of the store, orders not arriving on time, kids having to wait for presents, presents that they see but can't touch, you know, patients dealing with overexcited children, patients dealing with overanxious relatives, all types of opportunities to test our patients. You know, we even sing about it. Like one of the things we sang this morning, late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin womb. Was Charles Wesley complaining? Late in time, what took you so long? Why did it take you so long to come? We sing silent night, but he came after a very, very long silent night. Why did it take him so long? In fact, one of the fundamental cries in the Bible is, how long, O Lord? How long? And so, you know, one of the challenges with patience is we don't realize we don't have it till it's shown that we don't have it. But also one of the problems is that sometimes we get put in situations where patience is all we can be. We can't do anything other than be patient. And so maybe, you know, maybe someone told you when you were young that true love waits, and you believe them. And now you wonder, how long? How long does it wait? Or maybe, you know, you crafted a, a script for your life and everything's been going just as planned and you got into the school you wanted and you got the grades you wanted and then you got the internship you wanted and then you got the job you wanted and then you got the spouse you wanted and then you got the home you wanted and now the next part of the perfect family plan is the child you want and yet now every month you check and it's negative. You think, how long? Or maybe get thrust into a time of sickness where you can't do anything about the sickness that you're dwelling in and you just wonder how long or times of difficulty. You know, the problem with patience is often we don't know we don't have it till it's revealed and then sometimes we're just in situations where that's all we can do or be. But then what's the problem with kindness? I think one of the problems with kindness is that most people think of kindness in too small of terms. 
You know, we appreciate kindness when we receive it, but we really don't take it all that seriously. You know, it's kind of like we don't, you know, you need to be kind to animals. You need to demonstrate just kind of random acts of kindness where you open the door for someone or share your candy with someone. Just kind of these type things. But when we look at what real kindness is, the real kindness that we see, at least that God demonstrates and, and desires from us, it's no small thing. It's not just a little act of civility. What's wrapped up in kindness is the whole story of salvation. I mean, you can hear in Titus chapter 3 where Paul says, but when the goodness of God and His kindness... See, in one sense, God is good, and the way you know is because that goodness gets worked out in His kindness. But when His kindness, the kindness of our Savior appeared, what did He do? He opened the door for us. He shared His candy with us. No, He saved us. He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It encompasses all his saving activity. So that's the problem. But now the question is, all right, how do we become the kind of people who are patient? If it's been revealed to us that we're not, what do we need to see or do so we become patient and kind. And in one sense, just how like you need a picture where it's shown to you that you're not patient. We need pictures of patience painted for us so we can see what it really is. And you look back through the Bible, it so often can paint pictures of what long, what does it mean to be long suffering? What does it mean to be patient? So you can go like to Abraham and think about Abraham who takes on the life of a nomad, believing God's promise, obeying his command. He leaves a place of safety and security and stability and a place of being settled and becomes dispossessed and displaced as he seeks to believe and wait on the Lord to fulfill his promise. Patience. Or you look at you look at Jacob and how Jacob, it says that he, he endured and worked for 14 years for the love of his wife, Rachel. And it seemed like it was but a day because he loved her, that patience that he was willing to go uh, 14 years. But then on the flip side, you look at Joseph. And you know, a fourth of the book of Genesis focuses on Joseph's story. And he too also, just like his father Jacob had to endure 14 years of patience, but his 14 years was marked by suffering. It's marked by injustice. It was 14 years marked by disappointment. And a whole time the Lord was trying to teach him what it meant to be humble, what it meant to trust, what it meant to, in essence, train him so for the next 14 years he could sit at Pharaoh's right hand and lead the people uh, well. But he had to endure. And of course, you go through the Bible and our ultimate example of one who endured is Christ himself. I mean, think about what he endured. You know, we celebrate his coming and his birth, but think about what he endured. Opposition from the very moment he entered into the world. He endured being unwelcome and unwanted, even in his own hometown. He endured the great discomfort of being dislocated and dispossessed. He endured misunderstandings, even from his own family. He endured misunderstandings from his most faithful followers. He endured the way they continually let him down and disappointed him and ultimately climaxing to one of his closest friends betraying him to the point of death with a kiss 
on the cheek. He endured. And then what type of, what did he endure? He endured at his trial, an illegal trial. He endured the slander of false witnesses. He endured the unjust judgment of a spineless judge. He endured the wrongful conviction. He endured the utter and total humiliation that came with the stripping and the spitting and the abuse and the shame and the agony. He endured. And then how does he respond to those who endure? It's Father. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, truer words have never been spoken. And what tremendous illustration of patience. What a picture. What a picture of patience. And what picture of kindness do we see? You know, you can trace through through the Bible and we see that it was God's kindness that made his promises to Abraham to make him a great nation. And it was God's kindness that delivered Israel out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It was his kindness that made promises to David to build his kingdom and then rescue his people from exile. But probably the most famous story, picture that was ever painted of real sacrificial kindness is Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan. You know, he tells the story of someone who's uh, traveling down the road and then they get attacked and they get beaten and they get thrown over to the side of the road and robbed and left for dead. And then two people just pass by and they completely ignore him. But then there was a Samaritan, a good Samaritan who had kindness, compassion, out of compassion, he, he went down to the, where the man was and he bandaged up his wounds and then he bore him and he put him in his place on his donkey and then he took them to an inn or in essence a hospital so he could be, uh, receive uh, medical treatment and he paid the price and then he promised to come back to get him and take him to a place of safety and security. And this is a tremendous picture of what it means to be kind. But how can we become those kind of kind people? We actually can't become that type of kind person until we see that's not just an illustration of what Jesus does where he tells us to go do this. That's what he's actually done for us. We have to see the picture of locating ourselves right in the story. And we actually, before we can be the Good Samaritan, we got to realize that we are the person who's been beat and thrown down and left for dead in the ditch. And that it was Christ, out of his kindness, he saw us in our plight. And out of his kindness, he came down to us, not just risking his life, but at the very cost of his life. And it was his kindness that poured his healing ointment into our wounds. You know, it's by his stripes that we are healed. And it was his kindness that picks us up. And it was his kindness that puts us in his place. And it's his kindness that takes us to a place of healing. And it's his kindness that pays our debts. And it's his kindness that promises to come again and take us to a place of security and safety. And once we realize that's what we've received from him, it's so much easier than to then give it to others. It's only as we see him being the kind, good neighbor that we can be a kind, good neighbor to others. And we see that really kindness is not just this small thing. It's this great, grand, costly, beautiful, powerful, life-transforming thing. And so think about patience. How can we become the kind of people who are patient? Let me tell you another story and kind of paint another picture. There was an old man and his wife, and they were sitting in the front seat of their car, still in their garage. As they were sitting and talking, 
just like they had done for the past 60 years. And the wife had Alzheimer's now, and her mind was beginning to drift back to her teenage years. Her mother had died when she was 16, so every afternoon it was her responsibility to make sure she got home, make sure she got the lights on, make sure she got food on the table for when her dad would come home either from work or from the bar. And she got in the car and she, and, uh, she got in the car and she was insistent on she had to go home. She had to go get the table ready and her husband sat next to her and say, well, no, sweetheart, you already are home. And then he would say, you know, he said, you know what I'm about to tell you? He said, yes, I know you're going to say that, that he's been dead for a long time, but I just don't believe it. I know he needs me. I need to go home. But honey, you are home. Look where we, this is our home now. Look, we're, we're living at our daughter, Jan. This is her house. We're staying in their apartment. Look at those bikes. Those are our grandchildren's bikes. And she said, no, take me home. I, I don't want to be here. I need to go home. And then the conversation would go back and forth. And eventually, Jan comes home. She sees them sitting in the garage. And she says, Dad, what are you doing? You know, how long have you been here? And with a soft smile, he said, we've been here for two hours. Hey, two hours? What? Dad, how can you do this? I mean, no, Mom, get out of the car. You are home. You're not going home. It's been 50 years. Get out of the car. Dad, how can you do this? I get so frustrated when I have to explain things to people for two minutes, and here you are going back and forth with this for two hours. How can you be so patient? And then how do you think he might respond? How can I be so patient? I wonder if he would even think, well, patience, I mean, maybe. Maybe patience isn't even the right word. This is just, how can I be so, I'm just loving my wife. I mean, you want to talk about patience. Let's talk about when we were first married. And let me tell you all the stuff your mom had to put up with. That's patience. This isn't patience. I'm just loving her. This is what love does. And I wonder as we go through this section of 1 Corinthians, it would be so easy because anybody with even a modicum of self-awareness will look at almost all of these things and think, ooh, love is patient, love is kind, it's not resentful, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant, all these, okay. And one of the things, all of them can be the tendency, all right, I've got to, all right, I'm in the Chick-fil-A parking lot, I know I am losing my patience, I have to become more patient, but one of the things, we don't, we don't see a call to be patient, a call to be less irritable. The call is to love. And maybe the focus shouldn't necessarily be on becoming more patient. It should be on becoming more loving. How can I be so patient with your mom? I'm not patient with her at all. I'm just loving. This is just what love does. And so maybe the great grand call is that we don't necessarily need to be more patient. Maybe we need to be more loving. And when we find ourselves becoming impatient, maybe the real question is, all right, at this moment, what, what thing am I loving too little or what thing am I loving too much? My loves are disordered right now because this is what love does. This is what true godliness is. Jonathan Edwards, I love the title of his sermon series on this section is Charity, Love, and Its Fruits. These are the fruits. So what we want to do as we go through this all times, we want to bask in the wonders of his love and ask him to make us that type of loving people. 
And so one of the ways that we see and we celebrate every single week, both his patience and his kindness, is we come to the table. Because coming to the Lord's table, he offers his broken body and he offers his blood. And he says, this cup, it symbolizes my blood that's offered for the forgiveness of your sins. And the way you can experience the empowering love of my gospel and my grace is you repent of your sins and then you believe, you trust. And so we come and uh, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread And he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body, broken for you. Take in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. And he said, this cup symbolizes my blood that's shed for the forgiveness of sins. And in my kindness, in my patience, I offer a way back into my presence, a way to have your sins forgiven and your life redeemed. And it comes through through my blood. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for the tremendous kindness and patience that you demonstrated towards us through your son in your gospel by the power of your word and spirit. We ask that you help us to know it and then to live it out. I thank you for the reality that no matter how patient we are or become with others, we will never be more patient with them than you have already been to us. So we ask that you help us to know that and to believe it. And we pray that you would help us the kind of people who that patience and kindness are a natural fruit of our life. I pray for anyone who's come in this room and they found them in a situation and circumstance where their only option is just to endure. We ask that you help them, help them to stand strong and to, and to, to, to hold on. Pray for anyone who's come in this room and they know that they are, they are not uh, demonstrating the patience in the relationships that they have uh, around them and their, their current circumstances are giving them all types of opportunities to realize they're not as patient as they would like to be. Help us first to know your patience and then to live it out. And then I pray for our world. We live in a world that has become so just disastrously dehumanized. And all types of uh, things that motivate and compel just coarseness and a lack of humanity and a lack of just basic courtesy and kindness. I ask that you help us to see those kind of things as not small, but uh, I ask that you help us to uh, demonstrate and display and then to, to flood our communities and the spaces that you've placed us with your kindness. And all this we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. And now may the love of a dying Savior, the power of a risen Savior, and the hope of a returning Savior be yours now, this week, forever and always. Amen. Go in peace.